O Lord, refresh our sensibilities. Give us this day our daily taste. Restore to us soups with spoons that will not sink, and sauces which are never the same twice. Raise up among us stews with more gravy than we have bread to blot it with, and casseroles that put starch and substance in our limp modernity. Take away our fear of fat, and make us glad with the oil which ran upon Aaron's beard. Give us pasta with 100 fillings and rice in 1,000 variations. Above all, give us grace to live as true men, to fast till we come to a refreshed sense of what we have, and then to dine, and gratefully, on all that comes to hand. Drive far from us, O most bountiful, all creatures of air and darkness. Cast out the demons that possess us. Deliver us from the fear of calories and the bondage of nutrition, and set us free once more in our own land, where we shall serve thee as thou hast blessed us, with the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Amen. A prayer from The Supper of the Lamb by Father Capon. In Proverbs 22:29, Solomon says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. That's the kind of thing that we're aiming to talk about in today's episode of Bright Hearth as we continue walking through the rooms of the house and asking what our duties are before the Lord and how to serve our people and love our neighbor and love our Lord in performing the duties that are resident in each one of those rooms as we really seek to recover the lost arts and disciplines of the productive Christian household and domesticity. So, Lexi, how are you doing tonight? We made it. We made it. We made it to recording time, which is good. That means, dear listener, that we're past bedtime. Past rabbit nail clipping time. (laughs) Past rabbit nail clipping today in in the Sauve homestead. We had our first uh, meat rabbit nail clipping of Mother Bear whom we are praying will become the mother of 10,000. Yeah, 10, we're getting 000s. her ready for her boyfriend who's yeah, moving in in two boyfriend. days. <laughs> well, let's, we're going to marry him off. We're going to do things properly. Wait, wait, wait. Here. He's going to have two ladies. Oh, How's that never mind. Work? Okay, never mind. <laughs> bunnies, it's different, you guys. It's different with bunnies. <laughs> There's not as much covenant with bunnies. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so welcome back to this episode here. We're continuing in the kitchen today, and we're talking about excellence in the kitchen today. Last episode, we talked about recovering some of these lost arts and skills, really, that you might want to seek to recover in the kitchen. Very practical things like food preservation, canning. Uh, Lexi, in our patron exclusive episode last week on Patreon, for those of you who listen there, we talked through cookbooks and how Lexi uses cookbooks even more for skill recovery than for specific recipes. And so... Maybe you were spurred on in that episode to go and say, yeah, I've I've been slacking, or maybe there's some skills that your great-grandma used to be able to do, making your own stock or preserving food, growing food, uh, maybe cooking from scratch more. Butchering. We didn't talk about butchering because that was a a whole thing that you and I spent a lot of time researching. (laughs) Yeah, butchering pig, and we'll be butchering meat rabbits now. Sorry, Mother Bear. Um, that's the name of our lady rabbit that we just clipped her fingernails. We won't do it in front of her, but yeah, her offspring are going to be food for the pot. Braceconies, as Samwise Gamgee would say. Yeah, butchering is a good example as well. And so um, one of the things that you'll find as you go about these 
this pursuit of skill recovery is that it's really easy, I think, to do this kind of particular pattern that you see people do with hobbies as well as with the recovery of skills. And it's kind of this pattern where you get really excited about something. Like, let's say beekeeping is your thing for the next 10 minutes. And you're like, I'm going to become, what is it, an apiarist? Apier? A beekeeper. Let's call it a beekeeper. And uh, you do some cursory research. You get yourself some bees. You get into it, and then you discover, wow, this is actually really hard. And uh, all of a sudden, half your bees die, or you're trying to figure something out, and it's not working the way that you knew it would or you thought it would. The weather's starting to act up. And you just realize Lexi's like distracting me by pointing out how her, her how she's recovering is. the curliness of her hair. <laughs> Natural hair curl has been a thing in our home. Anyway, <laughs> so you're going around, you know, with this new discipline or new skill. And when you run into the difficulty in it, well, it's much easier to pick up a new thing and go, ooh, shiny new thing. Maybe I won't master this new skill that I'm aiming to recover, but I will become, I wouldn't even call it a jack of all trades. I will become sort of a passerby of all trades or acquainted with many trades, but truly master of none. And that's not what we're aiming for. Far better in a community to have people that master a few things in ways that complement one another in their skills and um, aim for excellence in pursuing each of these arts and disciplines. So today we're going to be talking about the lost art of excellence in the kitchen, excellence in cooking, excellence in pursuing these skills, and hopefully without being snooty, self-righteous, or despairing if you don't know what you're doing yet or as you seek to recover these. And so specifically, we'll talk about uh, theology of excellence, why it matters, and then we'll try to get practical about how to aim to become really excellent at cooking and at these skills and arts in the kitchen. What do you think? I was thinking about how in our generation, it's really easy to avoid this whole excellence thing, at least for me, because I see how much we have to recover. And so I've actually been trying, especially when it comes to like different arts and crafts, Mm -hmm. I've been trying to rein it in and not have such a wide variety of things because when there's so much that we have to recover, we can easily say, well, I don't really need to master this because I still have like these 10 other projects I want to get started on instead of like the self-discipline of keep going with three or four of those projects, you know, for me, like embroidery, acrylic painting, quilting. Yeah. You know, I can keep going with a wide variety of things, but never be really good at any one thing because I'm, I'm just saying like, we have a lot to recover, so I have to do a lot, but I don't want to be good at a lot. (laughs) Does that yeah. make sense? So sure. yeah, I can this I I'm just saying this can yeah. really be a temptation I think for our generation. So Yeah, it absolutely can because a lot of the skills that we're talking about are analog type of skills meaning mm. that they they're actually skills that come at your fingertips. You have to gain dexterity and practice yeah. and you're working with real things. Yes. Which a, a lot of the time in in our generation I know and downstream from the millennials on down to the zoomers and the generations coming up, we're, we're digital natives. Yeah. And so we're used to, we're actually used to words and talking and images and social media and saying and talking about things and becoming good at talking about things. But we often fail in the doing mm-hmm. of things. Yeah, you and I too. You and I both like to read things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's been good for me to have little skills on the side that I'm trying to learn because yeah. it's forcing me to get out of the bookish mode and to go do something. Yeah. And it's so. like, even think about which is easier arranging some nice new shiny mason jars with some fresh <laughs> produce on your countertop and taking 15 minutes to put the scene together and take a picture and apply the perfect visco cam filter to it and write the post crop it and yeah, write the post yeah. and then you're like huh i'm exhausted from canning today <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh are you yeah so you've People think that you've canned, <laughs> and then and then dinner time rolls around. You funny. think, oh, after my rest from uh, my canning session, I, I don't really have time to cook dinner. I'll just go ahead and get some uh, some uh, spaghettios out. Well, and I think can. part of this is because it all it really is creative. Yes, it really is creative, and so <laughs> it does take energy to be creative. Yeah, at least the way I like to approach the kitchen. If you guys aren't approaching it that way, you're probably hating it. So. Yeah. Um, you know, think think though, I mean, some of the canning that we've done, I mean, not it's not like every single canning or jarring thing that Lexi's done is, I mean, there was jarring. something, jarring is not the word, because <laughs> well, here's what I was thinking, it's not a can, a mason I jar know. is not a can. I, you're right, it, you're right. See, I don't even know the terms, right. I'm just the guy, I'm the uh. man around But I, I remember like we've opened a couple jars of uh, like jelly or something like, oh dang, it's moldy. Some <laughs> little thing went wrong and... And uh, that's, we live in a cursed fallen world. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the work. So it's not going to be easy. But what that means is that there is a particular glory in succeeding and a particular satisfaction. Even um, (laughs) just today, we were talking with um, one of our patrons who had, I I think I had said something in one of our, in the kitchen shows, which is like our patron show patreon show and uh, there's a link in the description if you want to become a patron and get that but there's um we were talking about patisserie like french pastry cooking in the, in one of the episodes and well it turns out one of our patrons uh ryan is a pastry chef or like studied under this french chef who knows he was i think you one need to of, go look up his name because i wonder if i know yeah I'll, I'll i'll try to look up his name here if i can pull it up in the in the application I believe is what the what the children call it. Let's see here. Oh, here we go. Okay, yeah, his name is Chef Roland Mesnier. Nope, Mesnier. It sounds French. Who is the White House pastry chef? Which, by the way, why are we paying for a White House pastry chef anyway? <laughs> nah, it's n- another another episode, maybe Kings Hall hospitality. But they need to be hospitable there too. I know it's actually fair, but anyway, she studied under this chef and. Um, newer stuff, and we were talking about cooking Queen Amon, which is like one of my favorite laminated French pastries, and which um, you did try over and over. I've and made over. it over and over, guys, and and I've <laughs> gotten it like sixty percent as good as the ones you can get at Les Madeleines in Salt Lake City, which are world famous. But uh, she said, this patron, she said, "Hey, you know, the, that you're running into altitude problems." So all that to say, I don't know why I'm wandering down this trail. Other than that, skills that are worth cooking in the kitchen, skills that are worth recovering, are worth recovering with excellence, and it's going to take labor. You will have to put your back into it, but it's worth it. So let's talk about why it's worth it and and what some of the theological escape hatches people try to use 
to dismiss the pursuit of excellence in their arts and duties in their life. Are there anything that you can think of, like, uh, Lexi, any ways you've heard people reject the pursuit of excellence using kind of theological language? I think most of the time I hear women just label it as legalism, just saying that, you know, either you're trusting in your food too much, you're not trusting in the Lord's sovereignty, or Doug Wilson talks about it a lot in Food Catholic in terms of, like, um, guilt, like false guilt. Our culture wants us to carry a false guilt because they know we're actually at odds with the Lord, but instead of, you know, being reconciled to him in the gospel, they want to have like works righteousness. And so we do that through like ethical food sourcing, through being vegan to save, to save the earth. And so those are sort of the things I hear is both sides, either legalism or like this food guilt, food laws, food food laws, food laws. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You see, I think, in in all kinds of areas, but it's like, sometimes I do think that it's easy for moms who, and and housewives who are really trying to reclaim these domestic arts to be sort of made fun of or dismissed by people who are too lazy to try it. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, you're so crunchy. Or like, oh, I hope you're not judging me for eating my macaroni and cheese tonight or like, you know, you you work really hard and you bring something to the church meal or you share something and they're like, oh, I can't, you know, I hope you're not judging me. And it's like, you shouldn't be, number yeah, one. Yeah. You shouldn't be snooty and self-righteous about any of these skills and recognizing that you might have received a different inheritance than somebody yeah. else. You might be at a different starting point than them and that's totally fine. And we ought to receive our food with Thanksgiving, whether it comes from a box or whether we work really hard and pursue excellence and recovering some of these skills. But I do think it's important for the ladies not to either let other people or in their own spirit to, to let this, I think theological escape hatch is the word I would use of like, Oh, you know, well, I don't want to idolize food yeah, or I don't want, you know, I don't want to become legalistic about it. And it's like, that's true. But, but Paul in Colossians three says Whatever you do, work heartily yes. as for the Lord and not for men. And so you have to ask yourself, in the duties before you, and if, if you're a if you're an oiko despot, which is Paul's word in Titus two for a for a stay at home mom, it's like a household manager. If that's your your job, parenting immortal souls, feeding people, taking care of clothing, mm-hmm. seeing Proverbs thirty one, kind of this very productive house that's orbiting around her husband's work and the home, and. Uh, if you if you recognize that that's your duty, and then you say, well, how important is the kitchen and is cooking in this? It's actually very important. Well, then do an inventory. Am I am I working heartily? Am I am I growing lax? Am I attempting to bring new riches and new delights and learn new skills so that I can bless the people that I'm serving, and not slip into like the easy ditch of saying, well, I don't want to be legalistic about this, or I don't want to be. Yeah, that's definitely a ditch. I think snooty, self-righteous legalism is absolutely a ditch, but it's also laziness is also a ditch. Yeah, I was just thinking how I think the kitchen really is the heart of the home, whether or not we want to admit that. So your kitchen management is probably really reflective of your self-discipline in every area of life. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. One of the things I think that is a common through line as Lexi has done some of that Titus 2 ministry where Paul says that the older women in the church, and this is 
not necessarily just women who are much, much older in years, but women who have more years under this in the saddle of doing some of these works. Godly women with more years of experience are to train the younger women to love their husbands, mm-hmm. love their children, be workers at home, so the word of God won't be reviled, he says. And what that means is there's something at the heart of this household management duty that if it doesn't happen with vigor, that the word of God might actually be reviled yeah. because of it. Like if Christian kitchens and Christian homes aren't ordered and aren't producing fed and watered and loved children and husbands, mm-hmm. there's something there yeah. that I think like even the pagans would look at and they would say, well, why would I believe their God? Their homes aren't places I yeah. would want to be. Right? Yeah, totally. Oh, so one of the through lines I was going to say that uh, comes up quite a bit as Lexi is that I, that I want you to speak to here, but I'll introduce it, that I, that I think comes up probably the vast majority of times when Lexi is seeking to help younger women or help women who are getting started in this. Maybe they're just starting in their parenting or young, young children for the first time, married for the first time even. And she's helping ladies learn how to do this very practically. And I think one of the first questions that comes up is like, when do you get up? (laughs) And have you thought about your day before the day begins? So speak to that a little bit. Because when we're talking about pursuing Mm -hmm. excellence, a lot of times we want to jump right to like knife skills in the kitchen and how to, what's the thing you do to a carrot? How to julienne a carrot. Michelle and I were talking about that recently. Yeah, (laughs) But it's like, there are some important foundations before that. So yeah, let's, they want let's the talk really fancy type stuff. You want to jump right to the fun stuff. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, no matter what ministry you're doing out of your home as women, you have to eat. Like, even if you don't have kids, you have to eat. And your kids and your husband, they have to eat. So you have to keep that ministry of making food going no matter what. And if you are trying to do this in a way that is, I don't know, just more from scratch type food, you will have what people always tag me and say that I said this. This wasn't from me. This was actually from Kate from Venison for Dinner. A, you will have a living kitchen, which means when you go to bed at night, your kitchen is still working for you, fermenting things, soaking things, bubbling things. Your kitchen is at work 24-7, but that means you have to be managing it 24-7, knowing what your game plan is. So the house suffers if I'm not up by at least six, at least as we've seen the last week and a half between Cyril being sick and us being, you know, out of the house a lot in the last week. Um, Yeah. That's the thing. We're talking about regular rhythms. Sometimes things get wrenches get thrown in and you can't let that over time become where it just, you lose the habit and lose the discipline. When the wrenches come in, you take them with, with grace and in faith you do, you know, you, you help the sick kid. Well, and the thing is even, I already knew this was going to be one of our two busy weeks this last summer. I had, did I have hot dinner made every single night, even though I was gone from 7 a.m. to 5? Mm -hmm. I had hot dinner every single night because I had, I have kitchen systems in place to make sure there's hot dinner for us. And we'll talk about some of these in the, we'll talk more, more granularly in the patron episode this week about some of these systems, kitchen systems and scheduling systems and things like that. But, all that to say, it's kind of like, and my analogous, you know, my analogous, sorry, my analogous experience is pastoral experience. So it's like, I can't wake up if the service is at 
if Sunday school's at 8.30, service is at 10 on Sunday, I can't wake up and serve the people the spiritual food that I'm called to yeah. if I get up at 7.45, throw some clothes on, and run out the door. I have to get up. I have to prepare. I have to prepare myself. I have to get reacquainted with the notes, get thing, get the table set so that before yeah. the people get there. And so um, a lot of the time, I think ladies hear this as like a curse where they're like, oh, please, <laughs> anything but getting up at six. Well, and I, I don't necessarily want to put a time on it because yeah, I, I think it needs house. to orbit around your husband's schedule. Yeah. Some I'm of thinking you might of be five. Some like of you might be seven. Andrea flips her schedule when Gary flips his work schedule. Mm-hmm. But, but I also know she is still striving to be up before everyone else. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that should be the principle is are you prepared in order to serve others or are you we've talked about this before with the thermostat thing so with food i really have to be prepared like i have so many hungry people if i'm not prepared yeah and during <laughs> school year we have a school at our church and so the the school age kids come with me to the church where i work in the pastoral ministry and then you know but we have to get out the door by 750 or whatever have breakfast and, and lunch breakfast <laughs> and lunch packed so I rely on Lexi. She's my helper. I rely on her for all these things so that I can focus on the things that only I can do in our family, in provision and in vocational things. So I, it is such a tremendous blessing that Lexi gets up at six. It seriously is. It's such a tremendous blessing that she's printing out her weekly dashboard and putting together her plan for the week and knowing the the night before okay i'm soaking the oats we're gonna have oatmeal in the morning the pulling out meat. lunches I are ready used to forget meat <laughs> yeah and that there's a plan ahead of time so that and and 90 percent of that is that of the work of excellence i think yeah goes that's into a good the, way to put it the preparation and preparing mm-hmm. yourself and making sure that you're ready to you know, for the game, you're, you're ready when game time hits and the referee blows the whistle. I'm using sports analogies mm-hmm. because I'm a man, but you know, the referee blows the whistle, game starts. You can't have started thinking about the game mm-hmm. when you hear the whistle, when you hear the yeah. kid wake up. So a lot of the excellence that we're talking about really does begin. And there's no other place it can begin, ladies, than in your own heart and in the own ordering of your affections and disciplines. Yeah. So that you, and and I know this we're not coddling you I know I know it's like here we are just you don't need to be coddled though you need people a lot of a lot of you probably haven't heard someone tell you like no you need to get up early you've got it you you can do it I think for me it was helpful once I realized there wasn't a solution outside of me just getting up early yeah right There's because no magic it bullet. made me stop yeah exactly it made me stop focusing on I just need to make the work easier and start I just was real more realistic I guess about it yeah and because I was being realistic I was able to actually apply correct problem solving type mm-hmm. solutions I guess instead of always being like oh if I just read this other book then I'll I'll suddenly never have laundry again <laughs> well that's not right. practical maybe you just need to get up 20 minutes early and fold it before they wake up like maybe that's no, the solution yeah. it's like excellence in anything if you look at the top one or two or three or five percent of performers in any given thing. The reason those people perform like that isn't f- mainly because of some tiny life hack that they've heard or some yeah. like, think about it in the, in the kitchen. The greatest chefs in the world 
are not the greatest chefs in the world because they can afford the fanciest appliances. Now, the greatest chefs in the world could make better food than most of us with like one burner, one pan, one knife than yeah. we than than I, for example, could do if you gave me all the fancy appliances. So a lot of what we want to do as as millennials and under, I think, one of the temptations we have is to want to technologize, replace skill with technologies and tech and instead of the hard work of learning techniques and putting in the organizational work. And the learning work and the practice work over time, we're like, please give me an easy, you know, the easiest yeah. 10 minute recipe I can follow. Give me the, uh, and those are fine. 30 minute recipes are great, but you know, give me the appliance that will do the work for me. Instapot. <laughs> give me. And again, like once you have the skills, these things are tremendous blessings. Yeah. 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 And when you're planning ahead, you know, there are going to be nights of the week where it's like, what's the 20 minute dinner? Correct. Hot dinner. It's going to be nutritious. And, but, it really, the foundation of excellence is going to be built on self-discipline. Yeah. And I think one one other little angle I would add here and get your thoughts on before we continue is that one of the ways the Bible speaks about skill is also in uh, the spirit of skill, God giving. One of, the, one of the ways that God's glory is manifest in the scriptures is, for example, in Exodus, I think 28 and 35, you see the artisans who are making the garments for the priests and in the in the tabernacle are given a spirit of skill by God. Yeah. And there's so the women that he talks about, they their wisdom in their hands too. When they're yes. yeah, they're doing stuff. it's so important that we that we recognize that it is actually glorifying to God yeah. when his people put on these skills. And as I read in Proverbs twenty two at the beginning, it's a good thing to be able to say in a humble but God glorifying way I know that I can make this dish and put it before kings. Yeah. I think that's where like your love of the thing really comes in. And Pastor Wilson talks about this in Food Catholic, which he's talking about like, don't be a food fusser. But if you want to pursue excellence, do it for the pure love of the thing. Like that is the pure way of going about it. And so I, I don't think we're necessarily saying like you have to be a master of, you know, every world cuisine out there. That's not what we're saying. Like, what is it, whatever God has genuinely caused you to love about your duties, try to like monopolize on that a lot. Yeah. And that you're just going to see that fruit, like start a ripple downstream, I guess. And because you're doing it for the love of the thing, you're naturally going to be compelled to keep doing it. Yeah, that's right. So, I, I mean, you and I were even talking about this recently where, I can't remember what you said specifically, but the example I gave was when it comes to art, I have been trying, have been dabbling in a different visual art for the last couple of years. But I I had to admit recently, like, but God made me to write. Like, that's what I like to do. That's what I've always done. Maybe I should stop wasting quite as much time trying to learn to paint and really continue to hone in my skill and my craft of writing. And you were talking about something similar with, I think you were doing sound. What have you been learning with the, was it sound design stuff? I remember what it was. Oh, I was just realizing that quite a bit of the work that I do naturally, that where I can actually, I think, provide value mm-hmm. and serve people, are in the areas of communication and music. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of that for me requires production skills, like uh, yeah. editing skills and different programs that are actually... Difficult for me to use because I'm just an amateur. So I yeah. said, I'm going to make a goal to learn this one particular skill yeah. in that world. 
that I don't feel like I have a handle on. Yeah. And so that's, and I, I chose that not because it's the most interesting thing in the world to me today, but because I'm like, man, would this make everything I do 10% more effective? Yeah. And it was like, yep, it would. So that is a little bit different from what I'm trying to say. I guess when God has given you certain desires and, and like use those things and fan those things into flame when it comes to the kitchen. So a lot of the time I've, my friends that might be listening, I, I've told them this when they're really struggling, like I'm just not wanting to cook. I'm having a hard time getting dinner on the table. I really, I go back to what are the things I love about the kitchen? I yeah. love funky little grocery stores and I love a new cookbook. So you will very often see me buying a stack of cookbooks or checking out a stack of cookbooks when I am postpartum <laughs> because I know it's what's going to get my head back in the game or, you know, it may not be the most financially efficient thing to go to some little tiny, you know, Italian grocery store in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. But if I really am struggling, that's what I'm going to do to stoke that love yep. of what I have to do. So, and that's part of wisdom is learning to love what has to be done. Yeah. So, but maybe you just really are not good at Mexican food, but you are super bomb at a delicious French, you know, pasta and sauce. Mm. Like don't stop there, but just understand like hone that craft that the Lord has made you naturally good at that. I just think that that helps if you're pursuing it for the love of something instead of like for the, the drudgery of it. Yeah. And even if you, I think recognize that when we're talking about excellence in a thing, one of the things that we have to put to death is an obsession with efficiency and with like time getting things done as quickly as possible. Like you're talking about sparking the love and following the passion yeah. and, and, and to become really excellent at food related things, you have to, I mean, you have to cultivate a joy in it and a love for it as you go. So you're not, you have to stop thinking like a modern conveyor belt American where we're like, what's the quickest Cheapest, easiest, cheapest per most calorie. subsidized. <laughs> and some of you are on tight budgets. That's totally fine. You have to, you have to work and adorn with what you have, and praise God for that. If there's so much glory in a wife who can take a small budget and feed people in a way that really nourishes their soul and their body. Yeah. But we need to stop thinking about like, well, it'd be a waste of time for me to spend ninety minutes making this meal. And putting that extra excellence into it and involving the kids and not neglecting your other duties. But when I know I could make a meal that would do yeah. in 20. Yeah. Well, sometimes you're going to do that, but you have to kill this kind of like some of our appliance mindset, some of our modern mindset really does come down to this efficiency thinking where, where we're like, how can I get as much done as quick as possible instead of like, well, instead of getting 50 things done really quickly and kind of like just enough. What if I focused in and I really cut cut down to what are the core duties of domesticity and what are the core duties in serving and loving my people? And food's going to be mm -hmm. one of them no matter how you shake it. So how can I really cultivate a love in some nook of cooking and follow it down and find it uh, and, and become excellent in it? Yeah, for example, if you have to cook dinner... And this is just how I, I think. I'm like, I'm going to use the nicest ingredients because I'm in charge of this. I want to enjoy it. I feel more creative. I don't know why. 
I would feel 10,000 times more inspired if I was making a homemade pasta sauce out of farmer's market tomatoes or my own garden tomatoes than if I had just gotten canned tomatoes from the store. I don't know why God just made me that way. And it's, I have really had to figure out ways when it comes to large group hospitality to not be so fussy about the ingredients, but to still be, to still be fussy enough that I actually find absolute joy in having others over when we're doing large group hospitality, because my soul would die if I had to serve (laughs) box food all the time to guests. But for example, a solution for me last year was when I learned to make homemade ravioli and I froze all that homemade ravioli and I made all that homemade gnocchi because I thought, you know what, this is easy, last minute, pre-made, inspired, filled food that I could serve to a large crowd and be extremely happy about and still keep my my home cook joy afloat. <laughs> yeah, you took some of the margins and planned in margin. Yeah, in, that's a good way so to put that it. future Lexi could be blessed with the equivalent of grabbing a frozen lasagna from Walmart. Except, wow, the frozen lasagna is homemade ravioli that you made the pasta and filled it yourself, and it takes like sixteen. It takes like about an hour per ravioli. I feel like when you made it, <laughs> I don't, I like, we weren't doing it was absolutely ridiculous. Okay, that's another example. I w- I still don't understand how to use my pasta maker very yeah. efficiently. What should have taken skill, two yeah. hours literally took Ari and I all day, yeah. and we just did it. <laughs> and then you'll get over in ten years. Oof, it's late here. In ten years, it's late. It's eight thirty. Sorry, <laughs> for us it's late. Yes. Anyway, um. Oh, w- one other thing I was gonna say when you're made me think of it when you're talking about your love for excellence in the ingredients and in like the gathering. You could think about this. This is a good thing to think about. You are the gatekeeper of health and nutrition in your home. Think about that, ladies, because most of the food that's going to go into your people, or at least a significant portion of it, is going to pass through your hands. Yeah. So what they're made out of, our bodies are made out of this, the things we eat. That's going to be, you're the gatekeeper of that. Yeah. So don't like f- get freaked out about that. Like, no. oh, oh no, if any, if any canola oil gets through my, my clutches, then my children are never going to succeed in Give life. Give them some sauerkraut. They'll be fine. But, <laughs> but talk about that. You're the, I mean, you are yeah, the gatekeeper. Yeah, I recently, I heard something about, I can't remember how many grams, but it, it was basically telling women how many grams of meat it takes to convert to a, a placenta a healthy placenta wow and i was like whoa things i've never thought about <laughs> but like our body is actually built out of the food that we're eating and it actually makes a difference yes so yeah because we are gnostic our entire culture is kind of telling us that it doesn't matter what you put in your body because this body is just going to die but then Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, you're just going to die. So whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But it, it really it really does matter, especially if, if you're trying to take other areas of responsibility back into your hands, like your kid's health, your husband's health, your own health. When you start cooking from scratch, I'm not even talking necessarily about the best of the best ingredients, but when you start cooking from scratch, you're immediately cooking healthier food for your family, more nutrient-dense food for your family, because you know every single ingredient that's going into it and what's not going into it, more importantly. So... I, th- I think that is one area that we forget about when we're thinking of excellence in the kitchen. Excellence also means increasing the health of your family. Yeah, you, you've given the example of bone broth because you've made a lot of bone broth. Okay. Typically, in a lot of foods you cook, you use bone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making rice with bone broth. You're making, oh, yeah? Versus like just grabbing some broth off a shelf that was made in yeah. a huge vat somewhere far away with MSG probably with MSG or, or even with just <laughs> like vatted. really 
instead of all of the, I mean, I don't know all the, I was going to say witchcraft. That's not actually the best word. <laughs> All of okay. the all of the adorning that you're doing to the broth as oh, you're making okay. it, and uh, like you just see, I can. I mean, I look at. I don't know. Again, as you can tell, I don't know how to make bone broth really, but I can tell the difference when I'm looking at bone broth that my wife has made in the pot and what's floating on top of it, and I'm like, that it looks far richer than the Swanson's yellowish broth or whatever out of the box. I know that that took several extra steps for you to do, and I often like see these bone broth mason jars <laughs> canned and sitting on our shelves, and I'm I'm like looking for the large mason jar that I like to drink my water out of because <laughs> I drink a lot of water, and I'm like, where are the large mason jars? And then I'm like, oh, it was bone broth day. <laughs> They're all taken. Yeah. I'm going to have to drink out of a small cup like a child. But no, uh, just that as an example of, again, the pursuit of excellence in a non-snooty, non-self-righteous way, but in a way where you're saying, how can I love my people to the edges? How can I figure out how to do this? And uh, just figure out one next step that I can, you're not going to figure it all out tomorrow, but how can I figure out the next thing or one other thing that I could add mm-hmm. or go deep on and figure out how to do this that would better safeguard or serve the health of my people? Well, and the funny thing yes. about a lot of the, this, like healthy, these healthy foods that I make, this is food that the average American is probably putting in their trash can. Correct. And so not only is it saving me money because I'm not going to buy bone broth, which is expensive if you're getting Mm -hmm. good quality bone broth, but I'm making like medicine with it. Medicine that makes everything more flavorful, that's building more layer into every dish, more depth, more, you know, so... And then if you want to get really dorky, you can go bury the bones in your garden after you're done making broth out of it. Oh, boy. Now we're going full <laughs> circle. So I did. Now I made... froze all of my post-bone broth carcasses in the <laughs> freezer a few years ago when we laid our new garden beds and planted some berry bushes. I just plopped a carcass under each one of them. Yep. And you know what? Then we'll be eating those in some Again. way. Little molecules and nutrients. I from hate those wasting gonna... food. <laughs> Yeah, and and one of the things about like the old, old ways, recovering some of the old ways is that most of them were not designer homesteading stuff. No, they were all no, no, no. They were poor people trying to yeah. figure out how to be thankful for and cognizant of the blessings God had given them in each food item and each animal that they raised yep. and each. And so they weren't just going to flippantly throw out the bones. They were going to figure out, wow, what can I do with this? And that's these, you know, bone broth was someone came up with that at some point. Some mom probably said, you know what? I'm going to see what happens if I boil the heck out of those for a little bit. And I think this is where it comes back to an entire like Christian worldview of my view of excellence in the ingredients (laughs) goes all the way back to my view of excellence in animal husbandry. Because if that animal was cared for in its proper God-created way, then I want to use it to its fullest in my kitchen now. Yes. I don't want to just waste half of its life, essentially, when we're throwing bones away. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, it, it's just, it, it really, in some ways, this extends beyond the kitchen, I guess is what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. You're basically... Living in thankfulness to God. Yes. You're being diligent in your duties. 
if you really believe that your job as a homemaker and a home cook matters, then you'll want to recover being an excellent gatekeeper of that. Yeah. And not just give it away to faceless experts in big pharma, in big agriculture, and well, big and, food. And let's think about it like this, vocationally. So God gave me the vocation of a homemaker. He gave you the vocation of a pastor. Mm-hmm. That means, objectively speaking, for whatever reason, we're more okay with saying, that's a crappier plumber, that's a better plumber. The guy who screwed mm-hmm. you over and didn't do his job well, that's a crappier plumber. The guy who is him. showing up on a Saturday night fixing your toilet for you so your guests could use it, that's a good plumber. Yeah, right. But we're not willing to apply that same thing when it comes to homemaking because mm-hmm. with homemaking, suddenly we're like, ah! ah! <laughs> but really, yes. it should be this. it should be the same because either way, it's a vocation that the Lord has given you that's to pursue right. excellence in. Very good. So yeah, I so when you start thinking that way, it's like, well, we don't we don't think we don't want our husbands to be like the laziest guy in the office. Why oh, should we be okay with that at grace. home? <laughs> he's under uh, law. He's not under law, babe. He's under grace. You know what part of it is? I think is that we have generally feminism has generally infantilized women, or the culture of feminism as it's infected the church has kind of infantilized women to where we are easily offended. Yeah, yeah. When, when well, women in general and even <clears throat> white knighting men are generally offended when you correct or you bring strong exhortation to women and say like, "No, work hard, get up early, do your job, buck up, you can do yeah. it." You know, pursue excellence, work heartily as for the Lord. The same things we'd say to the Christian plumber. Yeah. And and part of it is it's related to the, you know, the the fake 11 man-made 11th commandment, which is like thou shalt not say that women sin or that women need to grow in grace and sanctification. Well, you do, just like the men do. We all need the grace of the Lord Jesus to spur us on to love and good works, which he's laid before us to walk in so that the word of God may not be reviled. People can be loved and fed. So really take this whole episode, uh, take last week's episode on this recovering these skills, this week's episode on excellence in those skills, Take those in that spirit where we're saying, the Lord is with you. We know it's hard. It's actually supposed to be. If you're thinking, I'm not succeeding at this, it's hard. You've already you've ease, already gone off the yeah, rails. Ease is not the measurement for your no. success. I mean, like people always say that cheesy thing, the Lord didn't call you to be successful. He just called you to be faithful. It's true, though. <laughs> it's true, though. He really did. So, yes. yeah, he, he really did. And uh, Yes, as you're faithful, I trust that the Lord will give you success yeah. at what you put your hand to. And yeah. it will it will look like well-fed people. You know, the result of the Proverbs 31 woman mm-hmm. is what? She, they stand up and praise her in the yeah. gates. Her family do. do. They, her, her children call her blessed. Because they see... They don't call her blessed because they noticed what a life of ease the Lord gave her. Yeah. She yeah, had seriously. spa day every day. She got her mani-pedi Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm-hmm. And so they rose up and called her blessed. They yeah. said, blessed, slay queen. Even no. Daphne now, when there's little things she wants to fuss about, I always tell her, like, wait a second. You want to have babies, though, don't you? She's like, yeah, I want to have babies. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Like, okay, it's really hard babies work. work. Babies, you know, having babies is painful. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do this. You can, you can be brave and you yes. can do this. And, so, yeah, that's just, like, part of the reality of... Yes, her children rise up and call her blessed because they've seen 
how much labor she has done in faithfulness to the Lord and the duties the Lord gave her. And they've also seen the Lord bless her in those duties. Yeah. And so I, I think you need to get the reactionary because people react to like prosperity gospel nonsense, which is like basically saying if you if you have enough faith, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, whatever. They overreact to that in a Gnostic direction where they say like, basically there's no connection between <laughs> your faith and, and your work done in faith and God's blessing. And it's like, no, actually God designed it so mm-hmm. that as you faithfully put your hand with diligence to the plow of whatever duty God gave you, God delights to bless that. Do you think that's like lack of covenantal reality in their thinking or what? Yes. People generally are not trained to think biblically, which is to think covenantally. Okay. And when we're thinking covenantally about anything, this is a person before the Lord, a family, a Mm -hmm. nation. God says that, you know, with covenantal relationships come attendant blesses, blessings and curses. So, for example, in Israel, Deuteronomy, I think 28, 29, around there, God lays out through Moses in the covenantal relationship of Israel to their God living in the land that if you obey me, there'll be blessing, there'll be food, there'll be joy, satisfaction, everyone under his own fig tree, it's going to be glorious. If you disobey me, there will be curses, and you will die, and you'll you'll store up a hundred gallons of wine, and you'll go to drink the wine, and there'll be one gallon left, holes in your Holes in your flower sacks. It is interesting, too, to, to see in a lot of that, that he is cursing the tables and the food of the yeah, land. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and obviously, of course, in Christ, <clears throat> the covenant has been fulfilled. Yeah. And Christ assures us and brings us the blessing of the obedient son. But what that doesn't do is it doesn't flatten out and eradicate all of the covenantal relating to God and in the world that Realities, we live in. Realities, yeah. So it's still the case that if, even as a Christian, if you walk in sin or folly, you will still reap temporal curse. Mm -hmm. It won't be the curse of God's punishment. If you're truly in Christ, it won't be the curse of God's punishment, but he will discipline you as a son or daughter. He will remove assurance. He will remove peace. He will allow his hand to be heavy on you. And the opposite is true as well. God delights to bless his people. When they cheerfully obey him and in faith and and in obedience to Christ, they pursue Christ's likeness, looking to him and saying, Yes, I, I do want to be salt and light. And the, the result, God says this, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, that the result of the people of God doing this is that they will be like a city set on a hill, mm-hmm. lit up with good works. So that, and Jesus literally concludes that that city on a hill segment by saying, and so people will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yeah. Because they'll recognize that those good works, the fruit came from the Father. Yeah, and if you guys are feeling overwhelmed by this or just like, you know, in a season of like maybe your first trimester and so sick and you really can't get up and cook and your husband is cooking or... yeah or just like in a mental season of grief or something and you're just really struggling with the details of this, I... I find myself praying a lot during those times, like, Lord, prosper the work of my hands. I can only do so much, but you have to be the one that's actually building this household. And it's really amazing to me the times when I will briefly pray that and then I will just have like 10 minutes to sit down and do some organization to get a game plan together and to keep things rolling. And God really does gift me with clarity that I know is supernatural because... (laughs) 
because I'm on like two hours of sleep and yeah it's so so really like pray like pray over your food pray over your kitchen pray over the work that you're doing and your menu planning and Mm -hmm. pray for creativity and all that thankful children yeah and may the lord bless you in it so thanks for listening guys um to this episode of bright hearth we are thankful for the time that you give to sit down at the table with us in a sense and and listen in on our conversations about recovering the lost arts of domesticity and the productive Christian household. I mentioned a few times in this episode that we do record a very practical, it's often like very nuts and bolts episode. After each main episode, we just hit stop and hit record again. And then we talk often either about listener questions through Patreon or very practical application style conversation of some of the same things we talked about in the episode uh, in a patron-only show called In the Kitchen. So right now, if you sign up for our Patreon, uh, which there's a link in the description, you can get today's In the Kitchen episode, but also I think there's 11 or 12 other episodes up to this point already up there that you can check out. And they're very practical. And and another thing we do there that I almost forgot, I was trying to remember, we put book lists on our Patreon with links and things like that with the posts. So hopefully that's helpful to you guys. And also, guess what? Right now, I think our mid-tiering up, we give you a Feed the Patriarchy mug if you sign up. So pretty much enough said. May the Lord bless you and yours as you pursue productive Christian households. And we'll see you next time on Bright Heart.